morning I want to um, preach the gospel really from this miracle that we read of the hands of Elisha in 2 Kings 2, specifically the verses 18 to 22, which I will repeat. And when they came again to him, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is naught, the water is bad, and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, or vessel, and put salt therein, and they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. Thou shalt not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. I want to speak on the cleansing that is available in the gospel for the spring of life. Springboarding really off this miracle of Elisha. Elisha, of course, is a type of Christ in the Bible. The succession of Elisha from Elijah is mirrored by the succession of Joshua from Moses and, more importantly, from John the Baptist to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Christ's ministry was a ministry conducted above everything else in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Elisha, we read, <clears throat> had one request of Elijah before he was taken to heaven. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elisha, who did, his miracles were almost twice as many as Elijah's, and his ministry was a ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of miracles, life-giving miracles. Um, he cleansed lepers, he gave dead children back to their parents. Um, and likewise, Naaman, um, Elisha healed Naaman, the leper. He raised the Shunammite's son and gave the son back to the grieving mother. The Lord Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And Elisha provided a meal for a hundred men from just 20 barley loaves in chapter 4. And we could go on and on with the parallels between Elisha, the type of Christ. I mention this because it shows that whatever we read or hear from Elisha has therefore huge importance for us. He is a type of Christ. And we read here of one of Elisha's earliest miracles. And that it took place in a city called Jericho. And there's something quite astonishing about that in itself. 
um, very striking. Elisha, the type of Christ, enters and stays in Jericho, that cursed city. Jericho, which still exists today under the control of Palestine, is one of the oldest cities in the world. It was the first city, of course, that Israel conquered after they crossed the Jordan River. And as the first city to fall, um, God expected uh, his people uh, to give Jericho as a, as a tithe to him. Nothing within Jericho, um, none of its gold or silver and so on, was, was to be kept as war spoil. It was all supposed to be given to God as the first fruit the first fruits of the conquest that would continue was a tithe. And yet we read of Achan, this is why his sin was so terrible. Uh, he hoarded some of the spoils. He took some of that which belonged to God. It was the first fruits, it belonged to God. It wasn't Israel's, it wasn't Achan's, and yet he took it. And violated God's command and he brought ruin upon himself. And he brought a ru ruin upon his family and he brought ruin upon Jericho. Jericho was uh, placed by Joshua, another type of Christ of course, under a curse. Anyone who rebuilt the city or tried to rebuild the city... These would be, this would be the curse that would come upon them. Joshua 6 verse 26. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city, Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Anyone who tried to rebuild Jericho would lose his firstborn and his secondborn. And Jericho remained in ruins for 500 years or so, until the wicked reign of King Ahab. And then a man called Heel, I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation, but Heel or Heil, rebuilt Jericho. And he did so at great cost. Because the curse was fulfilled. 1 Kings 16 verse 34 says, In his days, in the days of Ahab, did heal the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Sagoth. According to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of man. More evidence, of course, that the Bible is true. Prophecy comes true. Prophecy is fulfilled. And it was here in this city, which had been cursed by Joshua, that Elisha tarries, that Elisha, the type of Christ, tarries. 
And the antitype, Christ himself, we read in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, came to Jericho, the city that had been under the curse, and he called a man called Zacchaeus, who probably owned one of the nicest houses in, in Jericho, who's certainly a very rich man. And it was in this city that Jesus preached salvation and, and dealt with this man, Zacchaeus, who had a, a bitter heart of greed. And it's here in Jericho, of all places, that Jesus gives his mission statement. For the Son of Man, he said, is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so this gospel was preached in Jericho, but I believe it was in a way preached many hundreds of years before in Elisha's time of Elisha. And so I want us to examine this miracle of healing which took place in Jericho. Very briefly, the background to this miracle, the context, as I've already said, is that Elisha decided to, to stay in Jericho. Um, there was a like a Bible college nearby, or Sons of the Prophets school nearby, and some of these trainee prophets came to Elisha and said, there are 50 strong men here, and why don't we send them around the countryside to, to try and find the missing man, Elijah. Elijah, of course, had been translated into heaven. The chariots of heaven had come, took him up, but the prophets uh, said, well, he must be missing, he must be hidden somewhere. And Elijah, Elisha says, said, no, do not send, do not send. He kept saying, do not send. But they pressed him so hard, nabbed him so much that he became uh, embarrassed, I think, and he said, go. And while they were on this fool's errand, um, he decides to stay in Jericho. They come back and said, well, we can't find him. Elisha says, well, I told you not to go. And then we come to this miracle where the men of the city, the men of Jericho, maybe they were the ruling elders, I don't know, they approach Elisha about a serious issue that they were facing in the city. The problem was their water. Their water supply was contaminated. It was corrupt. And so this section of God's Word tells of an amazing miracle. And I believe it has an amazing application to sinners, to us today, and to the spiritual needs of people today. The need of salvation. So there are just some key things that I want us to go through or to observe in this story. 
The first point I want to make is very simple. That the city of Jericho had an underlying problem. The city of Jericho had an underlying problem. Verse 19. And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is naught, and the ground barren. Notice first of all, that the city had an outward beauty. The situation of this city is pleasant. And we know that's true. Jericho was situated in the beautiful um, Lower Jordan Valley. It sat in the broadest part of the Jordan Plain. And uh, we, we have some information about Jericho from the New Testament. Jesus said the Good Samaritan went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jericho was about 800 feet below sea level, about 17 miles from Jerusalem. And if you travelled from Jerusalem to Jericho, you went downhill. And it was a, a beautiful city. Surrounded by desert, it was a kind of spring-fed oasis. When the Lord God gave Moses that kind of um, film, if you like, of, of the promised land, which he would, he would not be allowed to enter himself, he took him to the top of Mount Pisgah. And it's recorded that in this survey of the promised land, was included a vision, a sight of the plain of the valley of Jericho, which is described as the city of palm trees. Jericho was like the, well I'm sure it was better than the Torquay of the English Riviera, or the nicest part of the French Riviera, which is much better than the English Riviera. It had an outward beauty. It looked nice on the outside. It had a wonderful situation. It was a great place to stay. To the visitor, there were no obvious signs of, of the underlying problem with the water. It was, a, it was a great city. But then secondly, we observe that the men of the city advise Elisha that despite the outward appearance, the city has a hidden, inward, deep corruption. The water is naught. The water is bad. The water is contaminated. And the men of the city realised that this was a serious problem. Because water for every city is the source of its life. And this water, instead of bringing life and fertility, was bringing death. Some commentators think from the Hebrew word for barren that this included that the, the, the females were losing baby or having 
their, their pregnancies were not going full term because the water was bad. But certainly, there was a great problem with the crops and the fields. The water was bringing death instead of life because there was something wrong with the water. And the men of the city, thirdly, we observe that the men of the city knew, they realised that because of the underlying problem, the city would eventually die. The water is naught, they say, and the ground barren. The word barren literally meaning causing to miscarry. The crops would only grow to so far before they would fail. Things may start off, but they wouldn't finish. And although superficially the city looked great, there were already signs, if you really looked, there were already signs of the impact of the poisoned waters. There were bare patches in the fields, barrenness in the fields, failed crops. The city was slowly dying because the source of its life was corrupt. And eventually, unless something fundamental, unless something major, unless something amazing, unless something miraculous was done to bring healing to the source of the waters, there would be eventual permanent death. This city, Jericho, was going to die from the inside out. Now that's the, that's the background, that's the situation Elisha faced faces here. And the situation of Jericho very accurately represents the situation of every lost sinner in this world. It accurately represents the natural condition that every one of us is born into by natural generation. You see, like Jericho, you and I can look, well, maybe not very good to others, but we can look okay to others on the outside. Others may see us as, as going well, as, as having everything together, having a great life. We may even deceive ourselves into thinking that everything is okay with ourselves. But we may be more wise and be like the men of Jericho and realise that there's an underlying issue. And what we need to realise about ourselves is that without Christ, without the salvation that there is in Christ, the source of our life, the water of our life, has gone bad. And instead of bringing life, it's gradually bringing death to us. The things that we depend on to bring us peace and joy and fulfilment are poisonous. And people are deteriorating from the inside out because the source of their lives is polluted by sin. And they have no means, and we have no means, of healing the source 
of our own spring of life. Sin, the Bible teaches, corrupts the human soul, including the physical body. Our minds are corrupted, our emotions are poisoned, our wills are driven by rebellion and hatred against God. And just like Jericho, if something isn't done, if something fundamental isn't done, we are going to die. It's true that we may even give a good impression to others. We may even be a good churchgoer. We may be able to deceive others, even name the name Christian, and everyone thinks we're one, assumes we're one, because we use the language and we use the means and we live the life at an outward level. But over time the evidence of our sin problem becomes clearer and clearer because with age sins grow worse, tempers worsen, lust deepens, greed increases, jealousy rages, Pride swells. The marks of sin even come into the human face and you can see the evidence of the inner corruption as time goes by. And eventually if something isn't done, the Bible says, there will be eternal destruction because we, with along with Satan and his hordes, will be placed forever, cast eternally into the lake of fire. And so there's an underlying problem, dear friends. There's an underlying problem with you and I and every single person born into this world. Secondly, we read that after the men of the city asked Elisha for help, Elisha responded with a miracle of healing. Yes, there was an underlying problem. But Elisha responded with a miracle of healing. We read of it in verses 20 and 21. And Elisha said, bring me a new cruise. That's just a, a word for vessel. And put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth into the spring of waters and cast the salt in there. And said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. I believe this aspect of the miracle speaks of what Christ has done for you and I in order to save us as sinners. You see, Elisha asked for a new cruise. In order to perform this miracle of healing, Elisha needed an unblemished, perfect vessel. He needed a, a vessel with no cracks and no stains, a vessel that hadn't been used previously for storing oil or grain. He needed a pristine, a perfect vessel to restore life to these impure waters. 
And the Christian gospel is a story of how God the Father sent his perfect, spotless, blameless, sinless Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world as the vessel, as the vessel who would deal with the strength of man's real And he did so by living a perfect life and dying a perfect death. By fulfilling the law perfectly and offering a perfect salvation. By bearing the punishment we deserve and fulfilling the standards that God expects and which we could never reach. Christ was sinless, spotless, never sinned in word, thought, or deed. He was God's pure vessel, and he did something that we could never do. Elisha asked for a new vessel, a perfect vessel. And then Elisha secondly put salt, put salt in the new vessel. Elisha added a cleansing, purifying substance inside this vessel. Salt in that society and even today, salt is a powerful and effective way to cleanse and to preserve and to give flavour. And the great news of the Gospel is that what God has done in Christ actually works. There's no point having a message, there's no point having a gospel if it doesn't work out in life. But we know the gospel really does save. The Apostle Paul knew the power of this soul, this gospel. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the dunamis, the word from which we get dynamite. It is the dynamite of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, the gospel is a kind of salt that brings healing salvation to rotting, dying sinners. It's something that can get the dirt out of your life. It can get the dirt out of your mind. It can wipe away the stain of sin. It can leave a man that is steeped, literally pickled, steeped in sin for decade after decade. He's wallowed in the most grievous sin. And it can take that man and wash that man. And it can make that man look white as snow. What, what else can do that in this world? Only the gospel of Christ, because it is the salt of God. It is the power of God. God will preserve what he has done. He'll preserve his work. He'll preserve his craftsmanship. If he begins a work in you, he will finish it, despite, uh, despite us sometimes. 
And just like the salt flavours food, the gospel brings in a richness. The gospel brings in a flavour, even a smell, a savour, a good savour into our lives that was never there before. Something that you could never know in the world. And God can take someone who's stinking of sin and make them the, the aroma of God. And that's only can take, that can only take place in this amazing gospel which we preach. And so we read of this amazing miracle of healing. Thirdly, we read that Elisha applied the salt to the source of the problem. Elisha applied the salt to the source of the problem. Verse, first part of verse 21. And Elisha went forth unto the spring of the waters and cast the salt in them. He went to the spring, to the source of the waters, and cast the salt in there. You see, this is so important, this is something I, I want to get across this morning. Elisha didn't just go to the flowing streams or the river, whatever it was, throw salt in. He knew that he had to get to the, to the source, to the spring to the root, if you like, of the problem, to the place where the stream began. That is where he cast the salt. There's no use treating the, the, the flowing currents. Elisha knew the problem was a fundamental one. It was a hidden one. It was at the source of the river. Sometimes the source of a river can look, look like nothing. I, I remember when I, I once I walked right to the end of the Tiverton Canal. I think it's about fifteen miles. Right to the source of it, and you go past, you go through some woods, and you go. It's almost like you're going into someone's private garden, or some just ordinary garden fancy, and then this this little trickle bubbling up under some weeds. It doesn't look like anything. But that's where Elisha would have gone if, if, if he was healing the Tiverton Canal. He went to the source, he went to the spring, to where the real problem starts. And dear friends, if I may apply this to us today, even as confessing Christians, and ask you seriously, have, has God really done business with you at the spring of your life? At the source of your life? At the part of your life that no one ever sees? That you may not want anyone else to see in actual fact. You see, unless God has dealt with us at the wellspring of our life, we're just fooling ourselves. There needs to be a time in our life, no matter what we say, no matter what we say we believe or what we know 
or, or what label we put upon our Christianity. There has to be a time when God has dealt with us. When God has thoroughly purified us and cleansed us. Or, or, or have you resisted him? Have you been like Achan and, and hidden all sorts of stuff which really belongs to God and you've, you've, you've withdrawn it, you've hidden it in the, in the tent of your life and you don't want God to look upon it? It's so easy to do that. And you can sing the hymns and you can uh, recite the creeds and you can believe the right things but God has to get to you. God has to reach you in the inner, the inner spring, the source of your life. There are so many Christians, it seems, that don't have the root of the matter in them because God has never got to the root of them. There has to be a truly deep-rooted work of God in the heart. And so I want to ask you, dear friend, is there, let me put it this way, is there anything, is there a hidden bitterness in you that God needs to get to? Is there a secret lust? Is there a, a jealousy or resentment of someone else? Is there Something in the dark which needs to come into the light. You see, God has to bring sweetness into all of our bitterness. Like he did at the river at the waters of Mara that were bitter. They, they, the, the people of God couldn't drink it. It was so bitter. And God had to make it sweet. You see, God has to do that with us. The men of the city came to Elisha because they knew they could not heal the water themselves. And that's a very good place to start in this process. To realise that there's parts of you that you can't deal with and that you have to bring to God for Him to deal with. And only you, you have to come to God almost and say, Lord, only you can cleanse me. Only you can deal with this root of sin that is still deep within me, that no one knows anything about, that I keep hidden in my heart. My heart, Lord, is deceitful and desperately wicked, and only you know my heart. If others would see my heart, they would see the words desperately wicked and you know what I truly am Lord and you only can wash me and cleanse me and make me white as snow I wonder if you've ever come to God like that you see there's an underlying problem with each one of us in our sin but Christ has dealt with this underlying problem. And what he has done upon the cross. 
And finally, we observe in this miracle a miraculous solution. A miraculous solution. Verses 21, the last part of verse 21 and verse 22. Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. A, a miraculous solution was found. And we notice two things. We, we notice, first of all, the divine intervention. Elisha says, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. God, God used the means of Elisha, of course, as the type of Christ. Um, he used the, the new vessel and he used the salt that was in it. But it was God who did the work. It was God's miracle. It was God's salvation. And you know, salvation is always of the Lord. And all the glory always goes back to Him. And our lives are so messed up by sin, and our lives are in such a hazardous position with God, and I, I mean hazardous legally and spiritually, that it is only, only God who can save us. That's why sinners have to cry out to God for salvation, to cry, Oh God, only Saviour, the only Saviour of the soul, save me. And God says, I have healed the waters. See, God is willing and God is able to heal. No matter how impure, no matter how barren or lost you feel or are, God is able to heal your life as he healed these waters. That's the wonderful message of the gospel, dear friend. And then secondly, we notice a radical and a permanent change. A radical and a permanent change. Verse 21, See, there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. And verse 22, So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. See, dear friends, God creates a radical and transformative and permanent change through the gospel. These, these waters were healed permanently. Completely new and clean, beautiful water then flowed through Jericho and the, the fields were covered and, and, and the, the, the wounds bore Children, once again, life flowed back where there is once barrenness and death. Dear friends, that's what God can do for you in Christ. The gospel, in the gospel, God is in the business of what? Making completely brand new people. Not just patching them up, but making them new, new creatures, new creations. 
People who are literally born again. Spiritually, they become babies. They enter into life. And they're given a new life. And they take on new appetites. And they do new things. And they have new interests. And they have new priorities. And they have new powers. And they have new graces. And anyone who knew them before would look at them and say, Wow, this is a brand new person. Does that happen to you, dear friend? He makes brand new people. God makes brand new people who themselves become salt to the earth. Not just for a day, not just for a week, not even just for a year, but a permanent change. God creates new people for a new heaven and a new earth where we will live and dwell in righteousness forever. Dear friends, <clears throat> this miracle of healing of the waters by Elisha is a, is a picture of what Christ can do for you in this precious gospel. Come to him like the men of the city went to Elisha, the type of Christ, asked for help. Say, like they said to Elisha, we have an underlying problem which we can't heal. And Christ will come into your life and you'll find the very wellspring of it. And he'll pour in his healing and his purity and his salvation right at the spring. And your life will become bubbling with the life of God. And you will become a brand new person for Him. Come to Him this morning. Come and be saved. Amen.